You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. Welcome to the feed. I'm Ann Romer. This is York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Coming up, ready for a road trip? being bear safe and COVID-19 rapid tests for home and for the workplace. But first, we begin with the doctor becoming the patient. Here's Heather Seaman. In the spring of 2020, he became the first COVID-19 patient admitted to Markham Stouffville Hospital's intensive care unit who needed to be intubated in order to breathe. The then 65-year-old spent several weeks fighting for his life in hospital. He's since recovered from COVID-19, and life, he says, is pretty much back to normal. But there's one lingering change. So from uh, being incubated and on a ventilator for so long, I had narrowing of my vocal cords. It's actually called posterior glottic stenosis. So my vocal cords don't open and close as they should. I used to have a normal voice. My friends and patients will tell you that. Now we can only whisper. And uh, I'm grateful that I'm just able to still work and function normally. I just sound a little hoarse all the time. I've had three procedures to try to correct this but they were uh, only marginally successful. This isn't just any former COVID-19 patient. He's Dr. Larry Panzer, a beloved pediatrician who worked at Markham Stouffville Hospital for more than 30 years. Dr. Panzer, so glad you could join us. You're a bit of a legend at the hospital, admired by so many colleagues. It's not easy to sum up more than three decades in just a minute, but... Tell us a bit about your time there. I watched the growth of the hospital, as well as that of my patients. I have long-lasting relationships with everybody, including custodians, nurses, administration, and my colleagues, of course. The community has diversified itself over the years, as have the staff. And I believe we've met the needs of our community over the three decades. I know 2020 was a difficult year for you and your family. You lost your wife of 37 years to breast cancer in January of that year. And a few months later, you contracted COVID-19. Little was known about the virus at the time, but what were the early signs and symptoms that something was off? The first thing was I had shortness of breath and chest pain. Then I developed a cough, and one night I passed out. At that point, I realized something was amiss, and I called 911. 911. And they took me to Markham Stouffville in the emergency department. They worked me up. I had a CAT scan and it showed pneumonia. So what was it like going from doctor to patient and letting other medical professionals handle your care? Well, I have great faith and confidence in all my colleagues. So I knew I was in great hands when I went to the hospital. The people that emerge quickly make the diagnosis, and I was admitted to the medical floor. Once on the medical floor, I deteriorated fairly rapidly, and that's when they transferred me to the ICU. But I was familiar with many of the staff, and I knew they had my best interest at stake. And I never doubted what I was being told or how I was being treated. I know that it was touch and go for a while there. And at some point, 
Overnight, you went from needing two liters of oxygen to four liters. And on a couple occasions, I hear doctors thought they were going to lose you. But, but amazingly, you pulled through. I was in the hospital for uh, a total of five weeks. Three weeks, roughly. I was in the ICU on life support on a ventilator. During the time on life support, of course, I was uh, sedated. And I have very little recollection of what was happening. I do remember the first few days before being transferred. And I remember my week in the rehab. But the rest is pretty much a blur. Tell us about your recovery and how difficult that period was. Well, while I was in the ICU, in order to maintain my vital signs, I required lots of fluids and life support medicine. At some point, I had been given uh, 30 liters of fluid or over 60 pounds of added water. So I had ballooned up. My weight ballooned up by 60 pounds. By the time I caught to rehab, I had lost that 60 and another 30. So I'd lost quite a bit of weight and it was very weak. I could not talk, drink, walk, or really get out of bed. And so I needed lots of support from rehab, occupational therapy, dietitians, doctors, and uh, basically just to be able to lift my head and uh, sit up in bed. How are you doing now? Um, Well, first, I'm grateful to Markham Stovall and everyone involved in my care. Um, I actually am back to work two to four days a week. Uh, Stronger. I'm living independently. I'm able to walk my dogs. I basically do all of the activities of life I used to do, only with a much quieter tone of voice, which makes my kids and friends happy. I said it off the top. You're beloved by colleagues. You've inspired so many people throughout your career, including your son, Zach. What does it mean to have him follow in your footsteps as a pediatrician and just to know the impact you've had on him and so many others? Um, I have two sons. Uh, Ethan is my eldest, and he's an associate professor. And... um, He did what I was not able to do. And he was uh, successful in getting his PhD. Zach um, went to medical school and became a pediatrician. I don't know if he was influenced by me, but I know he always felt his place was in medicine. And... uh, I'm just very proud of uh, what he's done, what he's accomplished, and I know what he will accomplish. Any final message for our listeners? Um, I guess there's a couple things. Number one, to all those people out there, COVID is not a hoax. Don't believe anything that you hear about COVID being a hoax. Secondly, get the vaccine. I would, uh, I'm, I'm working at the clinic in Markham Stouffville giving COVID vaccines. I'm happy to personally give vaccines to anybody who wants, but I encourage you to all get the vaccine. Thirdly, As a long hauler, I don't want anybody 
to feel sorry for me. I'm grateful for uh, how I'm doing and the help I received. And uh, I'd like the community to continue to support the hospital in any way it can, since we depend on contributors to fund new programs and old programs to make sure that the hospital provides the best care possible. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us on the feed. Thanks, Heather. I appreciate it. million antigen screening tests have been delivered to over 2,600 work sites across the province. This is an effort by the Ford government to help businesses keep employees and their families safe from COVID-19. Ann Romer has more next with MPP Prabhmeet Sarkaria. Minister Sarkaria, thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Ann. It's always uh, such a pleasure to be with you uh, on air. So how will giving businesses access to free rapid test kits help keep workers safe? Well, you know, this is really another added layer of security for many of these businesses that, uh, you know, we want to ensure that stay open. Now that they're open, we want them to stay open. And basically, um, you know, the province, uh, you know, has uh, sent out uh, and, you know, coordinated with uh, chambers across the province uh, to ensure that local small businesses have the opportunity to get these special kits free of cost. Um, And what they simply do is they administer these tests themselves uh, as many times a week as they want uh, before starting work to ensure that there are no asymptomatic cases of COVID that are coming into the business. And um, and really by doing and being able to catch those cases, you can then uh, avert, uh, you know, sometimes that workplace spread that has been so prevalent uh, in the past uh, couple of months. So, It's really about another added layer of security for businesses and their employees to keep them safe. Do you ever run into, or do the businesses ever run into, issues of privacy, of uh, legal issues when it comes to who will or will not have a rapid test? Well, you know, we leave it to the businesses, um, you know, to work uh, with their employees on what they feel is safe, what they feel is comfortable. You know, there are no mandatory requirements. Uh, this is an option that we've provided, another tool in the toolkit for uh, small businesses, you know, that they can employ uh, to keep their workplaces safe, their employees safe, um, you know, to keep their customers safe, uh, give them that satisfaction. Uh, so from our perspective, you know, we encourage it uh, that uh, all businesses that, that would like to participate have the opportunity to participate. And we're also very cognizant, you know, that uh, businesses can't afford any extra costs at this time. So, you know, the government is providing these kits uh, free of cost uh, for the the members that would like them. Minister Sarkaria, what if an employee refuses to be tested? Is that the problem of the business owner or does it go beyond that? Well, that, uh, you know, that is then uh, considered uh, what uh, the business, uh, you know, relationship between the business and their uh, employee. And, and, you know, we would let uh, the, the HR policy there uh, dictate that, the, you know, COVID is something that is evolving uh, throughout the past uh, couple of months, a uh, couple of uh, years. So as we progress uh, through it, uh, you know, we ask that everybody work together during these very difficult times and ensure that, uh, you know, we keep everybody safe. 2,600 work sites across the province have received the kits. How did you determine which businesses uh, would receive these kits? Well, you know, to really be eligible, you can reach out to the Ontario government, ontario.ca slash testing on site. Um, And, you know, you can access these tests. You know, we encourage businesses that are open right now to access these tests. Uh, uh, You know, a lot of the focuses have been on, uh, you know, the larger manufacturers. But the new program that we opened up is they're really, you know, catered towards the smaller businesses that are open right now to ensure uh, safety not only for themselves, their employees, their customers. Uh, so we're encouraging as many businesses, uh, you know, as they would like uh, to, uh, you know, either reach out to their local chamber, uh, reach out to Ontario.ca slash testing on site, 
um, or, uh, you know, just uh, type in Rapid Screening Initiative Ontario and, uh, you know, you'll be prompted as to how you can register and sign up and where you can pick these up from across the province. Which types of businesses do you think would benefit most from these free rapid tests kits? Well, we know a lot of uh, the manufacturing sector has really uh, benefited quite a bit from uh, from these uh, uh, as of now, just because they have larger workforces. Uh, but, you know, to us, that doesn't mean, you know, smaller businesses shouldn't use it. We actually encourage smaller businesses to use it as well so we can keep uh, everybody safe. So, you know, whether you're a convenience store, whether you're a, you know, a retail shop, you have the ability to go and access these tests um, and add that layer of security for your business and, and keep your employees safe and encourage them to, to keep working and, and work uh, during, you know, throughout uh, this pandemic as it continues and as, you know, we ramp up the vaccines and uh, add that layer of protection as well. This is just another tool. And what happens? What's the procedure if an employee tests positive? So once, uh, if somebody were to test positive, we would ask them to immediately isolate and then go to a public health agency to get tested to confirm that result. Uh, so that is the most important thing that they can do. Um, and that's what we ask, uh, uh, you know, as soon as someone is a positive uh, test case, they must go immediately and get tested from a local public health unit uh, or a hospital, get that test done to confirm uh, the rapid test and, and, and then follow the procedures uh, on isolation and quarantining. So I'm holding in my hands right now a, a box. It's the COVID-19 rapid test device. And so I'm looking through it right now. I think you can hear me rifling through the package. It looks a little complicated. Do you have to be scientific in order to administer these rapid tests? Absolutely not. You know, one of the things that we actually changed through regulation is you do not need to be a health professional. You do not need to be a uh, an expert. Uh, it's actually very simple. You pull out the kit, you pull out the test, uh, uh, the testing kit, and, uh, you know, it's almost like as if you just kind of put it up your nose, uh, uh, and like a Q-tip uh, a little bit, and then you put it into... Uh, the test, uh, um, the testing kit, and it will determine within about 15 minutes uh, whether uh, with a result. And so it's a very quick process, 15-minute uh, process, uh, and uh, you know we encourage uh, businesses to use it. You know you can also now find them to for buy uh, for purchase in some uh, pharmacies across the province. So uh, even households uh, can get access to these rapid tests as well if they would like. Is it your opinion that rapid tests now are in lockstep with other COVID public health measures like masking, social and physical distancing, hand washing? Well, I think, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's definitely a tool that we should be using, and it's definitely a tool that can, you know, further help uh, keep uh, employees safe. Uh, you know, one of the things we hear a lot about is just building more uh, employee confidence within the workplace, and I think this is a great way to do it and uh, just allowing uh, businesses to have this opportunity to add that layer of security is something that, uh, you know, we, we think has been very helpful and, and it's going to keep people working and keep businesses open. Thanks so much for giving us your time on the feed. Thank you so much, Anne. It's always an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. After the break, one family's desperate search for a bone marrow match. Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to the feed. I'm Ann Romer. A local counselor is calling on Vaughn and beyond to help save the life of a three-year-old girl. Tina Cortez now with the details. Rosanna DiFrancesco is the Ward 3 counselor in the city of Vaughn. Thank you for being here, counselor. Thank you so much for inviting us. Tell us a little bit about three-year-old Lea Falico. Lea Falico um, has a rare uh, bone marrow condition. Um, it's uh, a rare genetic form of bone marrow failure. And uh, due to the severity of her condition, uh, Leia needs a bone marrow transplant as soon as possible. So why did you get involved? Why did you bring this story before Vaughn Council in the form of a member's resolution? 
I was reached out, out to by a, a close friend of the family and um, through conversations with the, that friend and reposting on Instagram, uh, I reached out to our staff to help coordinate a drive for uh, swabbing, uh, for trying to find a donor through a church, a local church. And at that time, we were brainstorming, staff and I, and said, how could we help this little girl? We need, we need to do more. And through that conversation, staff and I thought, let's give her the resources that this family deserves in trying to help Leah find a donor. And so then came the form of a resolution because for the city to put resources behind, uh, it needs to be ratified by council. Um, and so, therefore, the resolution came forward, and the mayor uh, was absolutely thrilled to do it, and, and it was a unanimous vote to support uh, the Falico family and uh, Leah's journey. So what does the support mean? More public attention to this cause? It means that uh, we will support uh, the Falico family in any way, shape, or form through social media. We're, we're advertising uh, the website through our billboards, our Instagram accounts, our Facebook accounts. Um, uh, all our council members are doing the same. Any help that the Falico family needs to coordinate through the pandemic, uh, any drive for donors uh, that they want to do in the community, uh, they will have full support from the city. Marco, Leia's father, also spoke at the virtual committee meeting where your resolution was endorsed by city council. What did he say? He said that uh, he appreciates the help and the uh, outreach uh, that the city was willing to provide. He was very emotional. Um, He made us all cry because he was talking about his little girl. And I think all of us as parents really just, it hits home. It breaks your heart. And you just want to do whatever you can and do your part to see, see this family through this situation and try to help them find the little, little baby girl a donor. And why is it so difficult to find a match for Leah? Leah has mixed ethnicity, and she's made up of both Middle Eastern and European descent, which makes it very challenging to find a donor for her. So um, it's not, if she was from one ethnicity or, you know, it would be a little bit easier. But because um, she has both backgrounds, it's it's a little bit more challenging for her. So we need to uh, create a lot more awareness um, and a lot more people to swab. So tell us about the swabbing process. I know neither one of us are medical professionals, but what Mm -hmm. exactly does that testing involve? How does it work? It's fairly simple. If you go to journeywithleah.com, um, you will find directions. Also on their um, Instagram page, they show you exactly how to do it. They video uh, demonstrate uh, the swabbing process. You order it. It comes to your home. You put your proper tabs with your information on each swab, and you swab it just in your mouth for a few seconds, and you put it in its package, and you send it off. It's that simple. Sounds simple. How is Leah doing right now? I think she's doing quite well. You can see from the videos that she's very energetic still, and um, the family is, uh, you know, coping very well. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, they're trying to do whatever they can to stay focused on, on the, the, what we're trying to do, and that's to find Leah a, a donor. I mean, um, they're out there. They're trying to create as much awareness as possible, uh, the family itself has joined, uh, you know, the family itself is just on, on a mission. They've done quite well just on their own. But I think that it's important that the community joins behind them and, and expedites this uh, situation for them. Uh, you know, the mayor, uh, our mayor, Be- Mayor Bevilacqua, always says we can't leave anybody behind. And this is our way, uh, city council, to show that we don't want to leave uh, the Falco family behind. We want to try to do as much as we can to move uh, this agenda forward and find Leah a donor. Now, they are residents of Vaughan, but obviously this message needs to extend beyond the Vaughan borders, right? Yes, and, and, and it helps uh, with media outlets as yourself um, to create that awareness. Uh, and, and hopefully it'll catch, you know, not just Ontario, but Canada and other, uh, you know, media sources around the world. That's the whole point here. We have to really outreach. We have to extend our arms really quite far.
Okay, so one more time, how can our listeners learn more? How can they perhaps get tested? Journeywithleia.com. I can't stress it enough. Journeywithleia.com. Go on their website. It's very simple. It's uh, easy. Um, and if you are in that age bracket, 17 to 35, and you have Middle Eastern and European descent, please, please, please reach out, get your swab test, and, uh, and let's try to help Leia find a donor. Counselor DeFrancesca, thank you for joining us on the feed. Thank you so much for having us here. Thank you. When we come back, ready to hit the road this summer? Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region. The CAA has a long tradition of getting you where you need to go safely and sometimes taking you places you never dreamed of. Now that the pandemic fog is beginning to lift, provincial borders are reopening, and summer arrives this weekend, our thoughts turn to road trips, the discovery of hidden gems, camping, canoeing, boating, swimming, hiking, biking, barbecuing, picnicking, s'mores, and much more. We are fun-loving, sun-seeking, summertime warriors. Woohoo! <laughs> Shoshana Fruitman is the VP of Marketing for CAA South Central Ontario, here to get us summertime ready. Welcome to the feed, Shoshana. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So how great is it to publish CAA Magazine that's the summer of 2021 edition out now with such optimism and honestly sheer joy now that we have turned a huge COVID-19 corner? It truly is such a pleasure, was such a pleasure creating and publishing this magazine um, and being in a position to be able to do so. Like you said, um, the magazine is all about being a stress-free guide filled with ideas for your safe summer adventures, and we were so thrilled to be able to um, create something with such optimism and so many fun ideas. What do we still, though, have to keep in mind so that we can enjoy the great outdoors this summer and explore all that Ontario has to offer, but reminding ourselves that there are still guidelines and restrictions in place? Absolutely. So really one of our core beliefs as a company is to be care-driven. We always do what's right for our members. And since the start of the pandemic, CAA has been keeping a pulse on what's important to members. We know that people are eager to get out and travel, but we also understand that people don't want to take any unnecessary risk. And so we've curated these experiences that are safe and wonderfully Canadian and can be done within the guidelines as those guidelines continue to change. One thing I love, five destinations to explore. Can you tell us what those five destinations are and how they will enhance one's summertime experience? Absolutely. So I think they'll not only enhance one's summertime experience, but also enhance our own appreciation for the beauty and adventure we've got in our own backyard. So our number one site to, to check out this summer is Tobermory. Um, number two is St. Jacob's and their famous farmer's market. Number three is Prince Edward County and the incredible caves there, that are there to explore. Uh, number four is our Petroglyphs Provincial Park. Um, and number five is King Carden. They're all really magical and unique places right within Ontario. I grew up on the shores of Lake Huron in the summer at a place called Bruce Beach, about 10 kilometers south of King Carden. Every Saturday night, we went to the big bagpipes. Uh, and there was a great gathering. And I think that's one of the reasons that you have counted on King Carden as a place to visit so that it is a place to experience the history of the Scottish tattoo, but also a look forward. Absolutely. There's beautiful things to see there. Let's talk about camping. Everybody loves to camp or they like the idea of it. What's your best advice when it comes to camping? Ready, set, camp is what you call it. Yeah, we've got a great article in the magazine all about camping. And really the spirit of it is that everybody can camp, whether it's your first time or you're a seasoned veteran. And we've 
really covered the, the realm of everything involved from how to prepare your vehicle and your equipment and what you need before you go to some things to watch out for when you're on the campsite. And if there's one tip I can give for camping this summer, it's that you and everybody else are thinking the same thing. And so make sure you check in with those provincial parks early and book those campsites ahead of time so that you make sure you get a great spot. Cycling for all ages. Love that one. Tell us about that. So we know, as we've talked to our members, you know, at CAA throughout the pandemic, that cycling has really emerged as a popular and new activity that allows people to stay safe, stay distant, distanced, pardon me, be active, and and be together as a family and have a wonderful family adventure. And so we've talked about all of the um, tips you need to know for how to stay safe on the road, how to stay safe on your bike, and have as much fun as possible when you're out exploring that new hobby. You also offer tips on how to prepare and pack for a road trip, no matter what your destination or what your plan is, whatever it is you're doing in Ontario. So how do you prepare and what do you pack? Do you pack differently this summer as we edge our way out of this pandemic? Absolutely. There are definitely a few um, new recommendations that we would make given the unique circumstances this summer. And it really is all about planning. I think that's the key to any summer adventure this summer is planning ahead and being prepared. So that means everything from searching for hotels with flexible cancellation policies, um, being on top of your local and provincial public health updates so you know the situation that you're um, going to experience when you're in your destination or on the road. And as far as packing and preparing goes, packing those extra face coverings, uh, cleaning supplies, disinfecting wipes, hand sanitizer, as well as maybe a few extra snacks. If you would traditionally, you know, stop at restaurants along the way, this may be the summer on a road trip where you stop and picnic instead with uh, food you've brought for yourself so you're not constantly having to deal with all of the sanitization (laughs) requirements of stopping at a restaurant. How important is it to know ahead of time what a particular town or city or even county's uh, restrictions or guidelines or, or preferences are when it comes to having people come and visit? That's a really tricky one these days, as I'm sure everyone's experienced. The guidelines are constantly changing based on Um, you know, the latest updates and latest information and everyone trying to keep everyone safe. So what we recommend is as you're thinking of the destination, do your preliminary research then. And again, as you get closer to your departure date, keep checking in and keep on top of it up to, you know, the day you're going to arrive there, just so you have a full picture of what to expect. One of the Romer family's favorite summertime traditions is barbecuing. Having you any tips on how to do that right so that everyone is happy and uh, and gastronomically safe? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so you know we've got some great rewards partners with CAA that um, offer wonderful uh, perks and benefits and discounts when it comes to picking up those barbecue supplies and um, ingredients that you need for a great barbecue. And I think the key and the trend that we're really seeing is that people are getting more adventurous when it comes to their food as well. We're not just looking for a summer adventure, you know, doing something out on the road. We can have those adventures through taste in our backyard. And so some of the great trends we're seeing are, you know, exploring tastes from around the world. Try a different seasoning when you barbecue. Explore different types of protein that you may not have barbecued in the past. You know, there's new trends as far as proteins go and even non-meat options. Uh, Try barbecuing vegetables and fruit. There are so many ways to have an adventure, even in your own backyard with that barbecue. People love to swim and there are lakes and rivers and ponds all through Ontario. Some people like to be on the water in a canoe or a kayak. Any advice on how to get started on that adventure? Absolutely. So that's one of our featured articles in the magazine. We've got great tips for buying a canoe, and we talk um, our readers through what the options are, ways to uh, make the most of your dollars, get the best bang for your buck. There are great options for buying used canoe models from those who may be upgrading or changing what they're looking for, and we've got great tips in the the article for um, what to look for, where to search, and some of the big considerations about how you're planning on using that canoe that will influence what you really need.
What's your best advice, your advice and also CAA Magazine, when it comes to taking that first big step in planning your summertime adventure? I would say the first um, thing that I'd recommend and that I think we would recommend to all of the wonderful content in our magazine is to really think about what adventure means to you and your family. And what are you dreaming and hoping for as far as the experiences and the feelings that you want to get out of your summer adventure? Because there's different types of adventures for everyone. And once you have a sense of what adventure means to you and what you're excited for, then there's so many options outlined in the magazine for all the ways that you can make that adventure come to life. The title of the summer edition of CAA Magazine, Summer Adventures Your Way, Well done, Shoshana Fruitman, VP of Marketing for CAA South Central Ontario. Thank you so much for joining us on the feed. Thank you so much for having me. Barbecue season is here, but a new survey says we may not be prepared to grill safely. Amber Pay is next with how to avoid those potential fire hazards. Summer is just about here, mere hours away, and if summer had a perfume, it would be the smell of barbecue, and we are practicing safe COVID (laughs) measures and the excitement we have about Father's Day and increasing numbers in our backyard. We also need to practice safe barbecuing, and joining me is Sharon Cooksey from Kidda Canada with a refresher on grilling safely as we all enjoy getting outside and taking in some of that favorite summertime scent. Welcome, Sharon. That's right. Hello. Oh my gosh. Can I just tell you how very much I love that if summer had a perfume, it would be the smell of barbecue. That is just beautiful. I love it. You know when you you are just about dinner time and you're sitting there and maybe you're having your sandwich or something and you're like, oh. Somebody's having barbecue. So I am so with it. And, you know, summer is, it's just about here. Father's Day, Canada Day, and three months or more worth of outdoor cooking. And we want it to be safe around the barbecue. So, Sharon, I have now pulled out my barbecue. It's come out of the shed. And now, what do I need to know? Number one, I got it out of the shed, and that's good, right? That's that's right. You have you you got it on sale and you pulled it out and all is well. And here's the thing I want you to do that is first and foremost make sure that you have it placed properly. Mm. So by that I mean you want to keep your barbecue about ten feet away from the exterior of your home because believe it or not if if you know something were to happen and something caught fire the heat from that barbecue could melt or catch uh the exterior of your home on fire oh about yeah right so especially like my home has vinyl siding Mm -hmm. so i really don't want to melt that no so anyway you want to melt the cheese yeah, <laughs> exactly. The cheese, not the vinyl side. Right. That's right. <laughs> I love a, I love a milk and cheese sandwich. Anyway, so back to the <laughs> issue. Um, and the other thing is just about every barbecue puts off carbon monoxide. Yeah. So we want to make sure that you place your barbecue away from an open window or mm-hmm. not make sure it's not under any ductwork because, you know, that, that ductwork actually shares air between the inside and the outside. Mm-hmm. So, again, just make sure it's 10 feet away from your home. Make sure that um, it's not near any open windows or near any any kind of ductwork or vent work that could allow that carbon monoxide to come into your home. So that's the first thing. We really want you to check your grill and make sure that it's working. So if you have like a propane or gasoline, there's fuel appliance or charcoal or just make sure that it's um, been cleaned and serviced according to your manufacturers. You need to make sure and clean the grill, like the grill itself, 
because if you, just like when you're cooking indoors, if you leave any, like, residual fats or greases on the grill, if you ignite the fire, it could actually cause that grease to catch on fire mm-hmm. and really cause the hazard. And and with that, because there are people, if you don't barbecue or you're new at it or, you know, you want to take over for somebody, what... Because there is something that you 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 speak about called the pass method. If something catches fire, you want to make sure you have that fire extinguisher nearby, but not right close to the barbecue. That's right. So we strongly recommend, just like what we recommend when you're cooking indoors, when you're cooking outdoors, we want you to have a fire extinguisher behind you. And the reason behind you is because we don't want you to reach through the fire or over the incident that you need the extinguisher for. So keep it behind you within an easy reach, a couple of steps. And, um, just make sure that you know how to use it. And I'm going to walk you through, if you don't mind, the PASS system right now. Yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. Okay, so P is it, P-A-S-S, so PASS. Pass. So P is for the pen, right? So there's like a little metal ring and a disposable fire extinguisher. And that ring, the purpose of that ring is to really prevent the fire extinguisher from discharging, mm-hmm. to, to prevent the plates from hitting each other. So just pull the pin. Don't be afraid of it. Pull the pin out, and then that's the T. So A is aim. So aim at the base of the fire for a regular fire. And here's the other thing I just really want to tell everybody. If you have to use your fire extinguisher, make sure that you're standing back about eight feet from the fire. Give yourself a good distance because let me tell you something, that powder is going to come out of that fire extinguisher with a mighty force. You know, if it hits like something that's on fire, it can actually cause like a blowback. So we want you out of range of any, like, burning embers or things that are or that might be in the air. So stand back about eight feet. So that's P for pin, A for aim. The next one is spray. So it's just, you know, two levers, and you just, you just apply pressure, and you spray. And then the next S is sweep, the sweep side to side. And here's the... Uh, the last tidbit I'll tell you is to buy the biggest fire extinguisher that you can easily manage. Mm-hmm. So the more the, the the larger the fire extinguisher, the more powder that's inside. So a small fire extinguisher might be five seconds and a bigger the big one might be fifteen seconds. But it's not going to last forever. So we want to make sure that you know the path system. P-A-S-S, pen, aim, spray, and sweep so that you take full use of the powder that's coming out of that fire extinguisher. I like it. And keep away from about eight feet and the barbecue away from the house or away from the shed in my case. And we all want everybody to have fun and have a great time while they enjoy their barbecue. And that's really what this is all about. I mean, up here, weather, the summertime is so short and we want to enjoy it as much as we can. That's right. I want you to enjoy it as long as you can. That's right. And safely. And safely too. Sharon Cooksey from Kidda Canada. Thank you for these amazing tips. And if you'd like more information on barbecue safety, you can visit kidda.com. That's K-I-D-D-E.com or follow Kidda Canada on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you so much, Sharon. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And again, great. Have a great summer. Now, if you are planning to camp this summer, don't forget that black bears have come out of hibernation. Jim Lang is next with a few safety reminders. Well, I know it's hard to believe in York Region, but there are bears among us. We've seen sightings and heard about reports of bears in Newmarket. They've been in other parts of the GTA in southern Ontario. So we have to be aware of bears and what to do when a bear is near us to speak more about it. Who better to speak to than someone from the Ministry of Natural Resources and Forestry? She is the Senior Media Relations Officer, Yolanta Kowalska. Yolanta, how are you? I'm good. Thanks, Jim. Well, I mean, uh, there was a story recently, not that long ago, on Industrial Parkway, Harry Walker Parkway in Newmarket. And I know it well because I live in Newmarket with a, a, a 
black bear wandering around and the ministry had to tranquilize the bear and take them up north. Why are we seeing more bears in the region in the GTA now? Well, I'm not sure we're seeing more, but there are some as this, you know, the season progresses, bear season progresses, you'll start to get bears that are coming down a little bit further south, especially if they're animals that are sort of leaving their uh, mother for the first time. So this is the time of year where they're on the move. You may see more. We've always had the occasional call in places like Newmarket and uh, some as far south as Sarnia. It's unusual, but it's not unheard of. Okay, so typically, though, for people wondering, where would bears in Ontario congregate? Where is their natural habitat in the province? They live all across central and northern Ontario, as well as eastern Ontario. And then, as I mentioned, there's the occasional sighting in southwestern Ontario, too. Okay, so I'm a citizen, and I see a bear. What's the first thing I do? Well, it depends on the situation. If you're seeing it from a distance, there's really nothing to do. Um, But if the bear is a little closer than that, uh, for example, if you come upon it while you're out biking or something like that or walking, um, what you want to do is slowly back away while keeping the bear in sight and then wait for it to leave. Um, If the bear doesn't leave, throw some things, wave your arms, make noise with a a whistle or air horn. Um, They're mostly interested in food at this time of year, and oftentimes we don't even know they're there. But when they are there, those are some of the tips that people can, uh, can follow. Now, Yolanta, am I correct that that's also what you should do with a coyote? You don't turn and run, but you sort of back away and keep eye contact. Am I correct? Uh, It's correct to deal with coyotes to back away. Um, And also in terms of the eye contact, that never hurts. We talk about that with bears as well. If If a bear appears to be advancing on you, we do indicate that you shouldn't make direct eye contact with them. Oh, okay. So, okay, if they take a step forward, don't look at them in the eye. Uh, correct. If they're close to you and you, you want it to appear as though you're not a threat to them. Um, so that in many cases can you know include either uh, breaking eye contact if you've made it. You know, we also suggest to people not to approach the bear to get a better look. Uh, don't run, climb, or, or, or swim because uh, black bears can uh, climb and swim and run better than humans can. Um, so those are some of the tips that we, we offer to folks. Speaking with Yolanta Kowalski, she is the Senior Media Relations Officer with the Ministry of Natural Resources and Forestry. And Yolanta, I, I, it, there's the the old photos from the 70s and someone's driving their old station wagon and they're feeding a cute bear cub some snacks in northern Ontario because they're awfully cuddly and it looks like Yogi the Bear and Winnie the Pooh. But, uh, it, I mean, the, to me, that would be the last thing I should do is feed a bear. Am I right? You're right. Never, ever feed a bear. Uh, we remind the public that when you feed any wild animal, either intentionally or unintentionally, that can cause more harm than good. I don't think that people understand that if bears become habituated to our food and lose the fear of humans, then they become potentially a little bit more of a safety risk. So if you feed an animal, you could actually end up, uh, the result could be they might have to be dispatched if they become a problem because they're habituated to us. Now, people listening right now, this is camping season. People like to camp and enjoy the great outdoors in the province. If you're camping and you have a bear encounter approaching your tent, what do you do? Well, we suggest that you make noise to identify yourself, first of all, as a human. Um, Talk initially in a normal voice as usual, and if the bear continues to approach, clap your hands and shout at the bear. Uh, And if worse comes to worse, if you are feeling threatened, if you can get into a vehicle, that is a, a good option as well. But again, most most bears are looking for food, so that's why we encourage people if they are out uh, to put their food packs away from their tents or their cars. No, I, I had read somewhere that you're supposed to, if you can, tie it up off the ground as well, away like away yes. from your tent. Yes, that's correct. If you can uh, hang it up in a tree, I'm sorry, I don't know the number, the distance uh, of how far it has to be up in the tree or how far that has to be away from you. But yes, that is recommended. Do mothballs work preventing uh, bears to get out of your garbage or any sort of refuse? Well, mothballs may work, but cleaning with a strong disinfectant like bleach is probably best. Now, I mean, people listening, are are there actual bear attacks in the province? How many would there be in a typical year in Ontario? 
I don't have it a typical year, but in the past 100 years, there have been uh, 30 incidents involving injuries that required medical attention. So it is not a common thing for people to be attacked by bears. So 30 is a number way, way lower than I would expect it. So it really isn't that much of an issue in the province. Well, I mean, it's always an issue to, to have someone uh, be attacked by a bear because yeah. that bear may, may in fact be a problem that needs to be addressed permanently. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it is a relatively low number, and we're happy about that, but people, you know, it, I, I think I've heard often people say you're more likely to get hit by lightning or you're more likely to have a car crash than you are to, you know, have a, a bear attack happen. A lot of it seems like basic common sense, what you're describing, Atlanta. Don't feed the bear. Don't turn and run if you see a bear. Um, be smart about where your food is if you're camping or in the outdoors. If you follow these basic common rules, you should be bear safe. You should be. You're, you'll certainly be bear aware and uh, definitely will reduce their problems uh, for people. And I want to mention, too, I don't know if we were going to get to this or not, but around... Um, how people can avoid having bears coming to their properties. Oh, yeah, please do. Um, and Yeah, we suggest very much that um, the best way to avoid problems is to take down things that are attractants, such as bird feeders. Birds don't need them at this time of year. They need them in the winter, so you can take those down. Those are a very popular snack for bears. And uh, manage your garbage. That applies if you live in anywhere that's considered bear country or you cottage there. We encourage people to, if they can, put uh, any garbage uh, that they've accumulated out on the very morning of, of pickup, but also put it in a, a shed until you can do that so you reduce the smells because bears follow their noses and their stomachs. So if they smell it, they'll try to get at it if they aren't getting the food they need in a forested area. So those are just some very basic tips that people can do during bear season, which we say runs between April 1st and November 30th. I know for our cottage in Northern Ontario in the Perry Sound area, the, the dump area of both recycling and garbage, the heavy steel doors you have to unlatch to drop down to put your garbage and recycling in and close it again, and it put a real stop to any sort of bears trying to get into it. Yeah, I believe that. I remember when I first started uh, talking about bears many, many years ago with the ministry, uh, they, were, they were always at the dumps because it was easy access to things that they're eating, and they're not particular. They'll eat just about anything. <laughs> they're uh, omnivores, and they'll eat garbage. So, uh, yeah, so it's really improved. The situation with the dumps have been uh, much better about trying to manage that problem. Yolanta Kowalski, the Senior Media Relations Officer with the Ministry of Natural Resources and Forestry, keeping Ontario great and keeping us safe. Yolanta, thank you so much for educating us. I greatly appreciate it, and have a great summer. Thanks very much, Jim. If you missed any part of our show, please go to 1059theregion.com for the free podcast edition. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.